0: One percent is by Bossy Edam, produced by Ken Rich at Grand Street Recording, with C-music from John Swan. The song In My Dying Days is by Sleep Station, performed by Katherine Allison. Featuring Katherine as Karen, Emily Wolf as Marcia, and Cassidy Andrews as Jennifer.
1: Here and I'll be so Chapter 2 I know more about space than you might think. Since I was a little girl in Boston, I've been fascinated with the idea of an endless expanse where your existence depends on being able to solve math problems. I read atlases about planetary geography when I was 10, and I'm convinced my theories on the physical nature of dark matter were better when I was 14 than they are now. If me and my friends were supposed to be studying at the college library, and I'm not trying to brag, I'm just trying to let you know, They'd be reading TMZ and I'd be on Centauri Dreams, this weirdo blog about space travel. It's not so much the math itself that fascinated me though. It's the idea that not only is there a world where anything is possible, but that world is everything except for our world. Here's something you might have guessed about me. I have always craved control. When I was a younger woman, I wanted to control other people. And now, I must master myself. I don't think I would have developed this addiction if I hadn't curled up with my atlases, reading about the atmospheres of Jovian moons and how we might travel there. Anything and anywhere is possible. Someone just needs to figure it out. And if that's the case, why shouldn't that someone be me? So yeah, I I was excited for this project. But I should have considered that the only thing I'm qualified to figure out is people. No matter how much science I learn, no matter how many assignments I am given, people are always the problem that require my assistance. I guess they're the one thing that only I can figure out. Martian, I developed a silence in that time after I told her to shut down Simon's lab. I don't think it was all about us, though. I felt as if we were mourning with him, and the stillness of our basement office didn't help. So I said to her one day after we finished making timelines and spreadsheets out of Milton's binders. Come on, let's get drunk or something. She didn't even answer. Marcia just followed me out the door. The closest bar was loud, coated in reflective wood and plastic beer logos. It hosted a rather odd mix of backward caps and tight jeans. We didn't really look too old for the place and our clothes weren't that far off in the Friday after work crowd. But we stood out all the same our somber, wary eyes and ramrod straight posture. We stood awkwardly, gin and sodas in hand, until a small table opened up in a quiet corner and we mounted its improbably tall stools. So, how's Simon doing? I asked her for the first time, weeks after we watched Alba die as he cradled her broken soul in his burning palm. Marcia smiled a sincere smile. And I understood then how I caused the distance between us.
0: I knew you cared, Karen. I know you care about him. I could see it. You wanted to protect him from my scorn. You wanted him to know that it was okay to feel for her. I thought about that night so often. I can't stop thinking about that night. And I think it's because I've watched people die before. People who mean so much right in front of me, and it didn't feel any different that night. It felt exactly the same.
1: What does that mean? Marsha, I thought about apologizing, but I couldn't find the right words. When did you watch people you care about die? I don't. She shook her head. I think her lower lip quivered once or twice. Who killed them? <sighs> A sob slipped out of her mouth and she covered her eyes with the back of her palm. I asked because I wanted to protect her. I was furious that someone had hurt her and the depth of my anger caught me off guard.
0: It, it doesn't matter. We aren't... Don't do that, Karen. Okay? Okay. Okay. We were talking about Simon. Why didn't you say anything?
1: I guess... I stopped to think, and that was the answer. I couldn't stop thinking about Elba. I had been having conversations with myself and there was no room for Marcia. I didn't make any room for her. I left her alone then and so many times afterward because... Because why? I only care about myself? I'm all for self-loathing, but that seems too simple. So why didn't the master of herself talk to her friend about the Elba in her mind? I think I was afraid. I met her before, don't ask me how, but I met her and I heard her voice and the feeling of it. It just hurts to know that she's gone.
0: I figured you knew more than I did.
1: That obvious? Marcia smiled.
0: Is that the job? Watching tragedies on behalf of
1: other people? Hmm. Maybe. I pulled my hair out of a ponytail and let it fall over the shoulders of my suit jacket.
0: Then why did I sign up? <laughs> why do we do this?
1: We're adrenaline junkies. Isn't it obvious? I replied as a group of young women surrounded the table opposite us a few feet away. They forced Marcia to lean in and raise her voice.
0: Yeah, well, we could have been journalists or something instead.
1: Look, Marsha, we're at the cutting edge of just about everything. It's really scary and it's really hard, but it's so exciting. And if we give it enough time, I know this will be rewarding too. For both of us. You're a d- One of the girls behind us had shrieked and laughed. Marsha and I gave them a side-eye. What did you say? I asked Marsha.
0: You're scared?
1: She screamed it into my ear. I nearly lied, but instead I sat back and thought about it. I was happy not to be bored. But I couldn't tell her that, could I?
0: I didn't think so.
1: Marsha said, smirking a bit sadly into her empty glass. Simon, by the way, seemed... Okay? A little slower with his smart mouth, but okay. He found something to keep himself busy. And Marsha told me that was healthy. Chapter 3 Charlie had been a pilot, and a pretty damn good one, for all of his adult life. He was 27 and cocky, the way young Americans can be, and he was looking for a new adventure. All of us who worked with the agency, I think, were afraid that nothing would ever thrill us again. So, we were always searching for more. The agency tended to need more. I can't imagine that Charlie ever thought about how it might end, this passion of his, or that it might end so quickly. But that is what happens when you are too aggressive with the throttle, too inexperienced to know the limits of your talent, and too stupid to understand that influence is earned, never given. I do have a transcript. Whoever produced it must have a cutting sense of humor. (laughs) I hope you will forgive my digression, but I have read this thing out loud to myself at least half a dozen times, and now I can't help but wish I had taken some time to find the audio. Let's do Karen a favor here.
2: I'm listening.
3: We have the transcript, too. How about I'm Charlie and you're Colonel Eddie? Well... Okay, ladies and gentlemen. I'm activating the tertiary thrusters. Please stand by and prepare to turn your neck.
2: Charlie, you're going half speed on this run. Just make sure that all of your, you get all of your cues right. We'll be monitoring your progress for now. We can adjust your speed later.
3: You're not gonna do the accent?
2: No, I'm not gonna.
3: <sighs> I thought you said I was good, Eddie. Yee ha ha.
2: Glad to see you're having fun, we'll check back on that in 11 hours. Alright kid, let's see what you've got. Central Station, are your monitors up?
3: Tracking is online for flight gear progression and radius testing. You are clear. Hear that? Activating primary thrust. oh god.
2: Yep, she rattles a bit more than your Air Force jet.
3: Okay. Looking for 15 degrees west of the solar position. Venting the backstop. Oh Jesus, it's hot. Oh, yeah.
2: Charlie, you need to open the exhaust, damn it. You have to checklist the vent.
3: Okay, I got it, I got
2: it. Charlie, you're going to roll. Manual adjustment, be ready. What, I can't see. The other way, Charlie, the other way.
3: Shit, left view module is disconnected. I've stopped the
2: roll. You need to initiate the external repair procedure now. What? You need to, damn it, external repair. Hook yourself.
3: I'm activating the procedure.
2: Get those hooks in, damn it.
3: Subject is outside of the module and into the pool. Oh god, oh Christ, where am I? Which input? E-E-E-O-O-H-E-E-E-A-A-A-H.
2: You don't have an air supply. Lose the suit. Release the suit and surface, now.
3: Oh man, I can't find, I can't find- You
2: idiot, it's the middle of your chest, the middle of your chest, fucking hell, I'm going down there.
3: Do not go down, I repeat, do not. This is, this is within training parameters.
2: Do I hear fucking laughing in the background, Central Station? Uh, and then there are uh, bookkeeper notes here. Um, Charlie fell about 20 feet wearing half a spacesuit. His body spun 720 degrees. His prone arms flung around like a helicopter and left a spiral of bubbles in their wake. He reached for the repair struts pursuant to his training. However, the struts were seven feet to his left. Charlie continued grasping at empty water in the wrong direction. Eddie, Contravening orders from Central Command, canceled the training exercise. The pool underneath the flight simulator emptied approximately 15 seconds later. Hmm.
1: Why did she think that was so funny? This agency demands a lot from us. But they do encourage us to work with some personality. Some teams are professional and stayed... Others are loose and focused, and some act like carefree pirate bands. Never forget, we are here because they want us to carry out their will. Independently. Private businesses, not to mention the rest of our government, demand a part of you and ask that you leave the rest behind. The agency demands all of you, and if that means your shitty personality comes along, well, so long as you deliver what they need. That raises a question, I know. I saw myself as a pristine example of raw clay that the agency forms into its instruments. But to Marsha? I was her superior officer. How did she feel about the demands I made of her? (sighs) Now I have to come clean and confess that I've left something out of my narrative, And the trust between me, a person who has risked so much to offer you this history, and you, a person who has agreed to take the time to get to know me, rather than skim this volume for the raw facts of my story, has been broken. That night... That night after we left the bar in Brooklyn... Marsha and I shared a cab ride home. I can't quite remember how it happened, but I came to with my head pressed against her collarbone in the back seat when she nudged me back to life. Hey, Karen? This is you. And I checked my mouth for drool before I sat up straight, and I looked at those big eyes of hers, and I still felt the warmth of her chest on my face. And I kind of smiled, and I put my hand on her shoulder too. Well, maybe to say goodbye. But really, I just wanted to be there. And I think she knew that. You know, all of that time together, she knew me. And I just kind of looked at her and my mouth opened like I was going to say something, but it turned into a smile. And I could see that she was looking at my face that way and at the way my hair was falling over my eye. And I wasn't doing anything about it. But then I could see this look in her eyes like she was trying to convince herself that she wasn't crazy and that I really did feel something. And I saw her considering me and her desire. And then, well, then, her face moved a little bit, every feature, like she was thinking about the chain of command, whether I might be giving her another order. I smiled and half laughed suppress the pounding in my heart that couldn't tell whether i was embarrassed or sad or just really stupid to initiate this kind of situation and i released the breath in my chest that was saving her warmth and i said hey great night see you in the salt mines bright and early i'll bring my helmet she replied with a kind of long smile i'd never seen before anyway it was too awkward to even be awkward about it was beyond awkward so the next day at the office everything was back to normal well i have to admit it was kind of aggressively back to normal but normal all the same
3: this is kind of embarrassing you know hmm. it was never back to normal not to me. Where are you, Karen? Where are you? To my husband, Charlie,
1: the spaceman. This was the kind of night Charlie dreamed about when he first applied to our space program. His beaming wife offering a toast in a room full of streamers and tiny shuttles and spacesuit-shaped party favors, his friends masking their jealousy and awe with booze and jokey insults, A local news crew wanted to film a segment on his alleged repair of a military communications satellite despite everything something was missing when he'd imagined this moment the party was just the culmination everything that came before was supposed to have given it meaning what he was missing really was friction his wife was supposed to plead with him to stay home after a long tour of duty She should have noticed that the local academy was offering well-paid instructor jobs. She should have remembered the conversation they once had about why he wanted to become a teacher after he retired from the Air Force, and woven that into a compelling argument for him to stay. His friends at the local bar, after they congratulated him, should have cringed and asked what his family thought. His mother should have called her a poor dear and wondered how she would get through each day knowing that her love was hurling through outer space. His dad then would have backed him up and said that the boy needed to live his dream. What happened instead? His wife Jennifer cheered and did not ask what came next. His friends, within 17 minutes, went back to discussing a new local brewery. His mother said that Charlie always had a taste for adventure. His dad said that this is why he was so tough on the boy about his geometry grade. Jennifer actually seemed giddy about the opportunity. She made that clear. And if she really were happy about his leaving, wouldn't she have made some effort to seem sad? Still, there was no grief in her eyes. Why had he lied to Colonel Eddie? because Eddie wanted him to be good. But the people who knew him best seemed to believe that he was more ambition than man. So Charlie lifted his right arm, stood and raised a glass to his farewell party. They thought he was touched, overcome with emotion when he grimaced as he tilted the flute toward his mouth. In reality, the backs of his shoulders were lined with bruises that looked like suction cups. Across the front of his arm, a stitched gash pinpricked him with a phantom pain. His left leg never fully recovered from that awkward fall into the weightlessness simulation pool. He stomped his heel onto the ground as if he were shaking off a leg cramp. This satellite repair, of course, was a ruse. Charlie was one of his country's best fighter pilots, and this training was beyond anything he had heard of what had he gotten himself into what is this about charlie cringed at the weight of those questions which even on the night of his dreams burdened his slumping shoulders because he had been expecting the friction to come any moment now charlie hadn't told his wife about the raw brutality of his training after all it might have tipped the argument for him to stay in her favor This training had gone far beyond some misguided attempt to toughen them up. He felt as if the central command in Houston was trying to tell him something about who or what he was. An instrument, their tool. And now, to look at the face of his wife and the collection of square-jawed jokers that he called friends and the children of Italian immigrants who made up his family, was to be convinced that he did not want to leave them for this. But how could he stay no one had even asked him to i stood in the back of the room in a deep blue suit clapping politely as i watched the scene unfold i told charlie's pleasant wife jennifer that there was a secret service element to his mission and that the success would change their lives forever I told her not to make it harder for him by asking too many questions about it, and that I wasn't supposed to make this offer, but I would pull him out of the program now if she was uncomfortable with his flight. I'd sent Charlie's parents a message on agency letterhead, asking for their assistance, planning a surprise return party for him, which would feature senior government officials who would present him with a medal, I had interviewed his friends to ask about Charlie's personality on the condition they would be discreet about our conversation, and I complimented their observational skills, comparing them to an agent's. I was pleased. Charlie was everything I expected. And his wife made a charming toast.